Welcome back to another week here on MWO Sports. Ryan Drury, as always, I'll be joined by Steve Sabrin and Clarky. Another great guest on the show this week, former Maple Leaf captain Rick Vibe and author of the new book Catch-22, all about his life in hockey as well as away from the rink. We'll talk with Rick a little bit about the Ballard years, being named a young captain, scoring 50 goals for the Maple Leafs, of course, and much more. We'll also talk about the Washington Capitals' unfortunate COVID-19 situation that they find themselves in. We've got to talk about the Blue Jays. George Springer is a Jay, as well as Kirby Yates. Exciting times. They're definitely not done. And as always, we'll be joined by our wagering expert, Chris Abbott from CoolBet, on the NFL Championship Games, who's going to the Super Bowl, and ongoing NHL betting. You're listening to and watching MWO Sports, brought to you by CoolBet.co. This is MWO Sports. Welcome back to another week here on MWO Sports. Ryan Drury here, joined as always by Clarkie and Steve Sabrin, and we are very pleased to be joined by a great special guest. He is the author of a great new book, Catch-22, My Battles in Hockey and Life, the untold story of a Toronto Maple Leafs legend. Very pleased to be joined by former Maple Leafs captain, Rick Vive. Rick, how are you in this crazy COVID world? I'm doing pretty darn good, uh, considering all and considering I'm not going out doing what I normally do on a pretty much daily basis. It's it's go for a walk, watch TV, watch a hockey game, go to bed, get up, go for a walk. So it's pretty much the same every single day. Yeah, we sound like kindred spirits right now, Rick. That's basically all we're all up to here on the show. Uh, Really glad to have you on. And and let's start with the book, Rick. I mean, it's getting rave reviews and you reveal a lot of things in here, like it says, untold stories um, that a lot of people just aren't familiar with. I know one of the things that you really dig into was some of the tumultuous times in the Ballard years of the Maple Leafs. It's been well documented. You know, numerous players had issues with them. Tell us a little bit without revealing too much from the book, some of some of your memories of that time and, and just how hard it was on the team and yourself to be in that situation with an owner like Mr. Ballard was. Well, you know, it was difficult. I mean, you know, the guy was meddling all the time and, you know, I think the biggest, I guess, frust- frustrating part of it was the fact that he wouldn't spend the money to hire a good general manager that could make those moves at the deadline to help us kind of get over the hump or, you know, cause there was a few years there from 85 to 87 where we had, we had a pretty good team, but you know, we didn't, we didn't have a good general manager that could make that deal. And we didn't have a, a coach that could put in the systems that would make us a better hockey team based on, on the type of team we had. So, you know, it, it comes down to a, a an owner who didn't want to spend any darn money. Rick, you were named a captain very young in your career with the Maple Leafs. What was that time like for you? And I think I remember you saying at one point, you didn't think you were ready, but what else could you have done at that point? Is that true? Well, yeah, and it's in the book. And, and uh, you know, hence the, the Catch-22 uh, title because – when I started reading it, uh, getting the chapters and all that together with Scott Morrison, and I started seeing the pattern my whole life of being in those kind of catch-22 situations. And, and that was another one where Harold just came to me, and he didn't even ask me. Like, normally, 
you know, the cap or the, the guy they want to be captain would sit down in a room with the GM and the owner, perhaps, and the coach, and they would discuss it. And uh, in my case, he just came to me and said, you're a captain. And I was in a position where, you know, I was 22 years old. I'd already been traded once already, and I, I had no desire to leave Toronto. And, but I didn't think I was quite ready. I was 22 years old. We had a, a little bit of an older team at the time. And I didn't quite know if I was ready for it or not. But I knew that if I said no to Harold, that I was pretty, probably 99% sure he would ship me out of Toronto, which is not what I wanted. Uh, Rick, you mentioned about uh, sifting through the chapters while putting the book together. What was it like um, writing this book and going through the process of putting these stories on paper? Uh, what was that like for you? Um, well, it wasn't difficult uh, because it was it was true. It, it happened. It was part of my life. Uh, a lot of it, uh, my fault, uh, you know, that I obviously take ownership of, but at the same time, there was other people involved, some other factors, and uh, so so it really wasn't that difficult. It was it was quite refreshing to kind of to get it into a book and get it out there. Uh, some of the things that you know, not just myself, my teammates, but things I had to deal with in life as well as what we had to deal with on the ice and and off the ice while we were playing in. Toronto or Vancouver, Chicago, Buffalo. I mean, it, it made no difference where. Rick, one of the things as well that's in the book that I, I'm extremely interested in, and it, and it's a story that has been touched on loosely by a couple people. I remember reading a bit about it in Patrick O'Sullivan's book, but just your experience with the Mississauga Ice Dogs at the time, and obviously Grapes really had his hands all over that. That's something that you dive into in the book as well. Take us back there and, and some of the memories and just things that went wrong because that was one of the most tumultuous seasons in major junior history. Take us back there. Well, that's a record that I'm probably never, ever going to lose, and that is the least amount of wins in a season with three. Um, but, I mean, we weren't a great hockey team to start with, and uh, I guess it was probably late November, early December. Don, we had made a deal that summer before I had signed on with Kitchener and got three or four players for uh, Dickinson, I believe they traded there. And there was this one defenseman who really wasn't fleet of foot. I, I can't even remember his name at this point. It was so long ago. But uh, Don came to me one day and he said, because Don liked him because every time he got the puck, he just threw it off the glass and out. And you hear Don talking about that all the time. And he said, I want you to play this guy. And I said, I said, well, are you telling me or are you asking me? And he said, thought for a second or two. And he said, I'm telling you. And I said, okay. So I played the guy probably 20, 22 minutes a game for three games. I think he was about a minus 17 or 18. And, uh, uh, then I didn't play him again, but I never heard another word from Don on that particular issue, but a lot of other things and started leaving nasty messages on my machine so that when I come in in the morning to look over film and prepare for practice, I'd have to listen to these messages from him. And uh, you know what? It, it, it was a tough year, but 
it, it was no tougher than any other year I had. I mean, I just, you know, I did my job and the guys I had, the kids that I, that played for me worked their tails off. We just weren't good enough. You know, we had at the beginning, 15 games in, Jason Spezza demanded a trade. And then we traded Weidman, who was one of our better forwards. Brian McGratton, who was on a 40-goal pace, uh, blew his knee out halfway through the season. And then all of a sudden, we started trading all our veteran players. And, yeah, there was a lot of interference. But you know what? It is what it is. Uh, you know, you do the best job you can. The players did. At the end of the day, it, it wasn't – anybody's fault uh, other than probably his and whoever was running the team uh, for not doing what they should have been doing from the uh, inception of the franchise. And that is building it through the draft and developing. Rick, you also talk about your battles off the ice in this book uh, and your battle with alcohol. Um, when did you realize you had a problem with it? Yeah. You know what? I, I, I mean, I knew I drank probably more than I should have for a number of years, but I think it really kind of came out uh, right around the end of my uh, stay in Buffalo, I think, when I realized that there might be an issue there. And that was a time when I was going through a rough time where I wasn't playing, I wasn't dressing, I was sitting in the press box for like months and, and uh, you know, wasn't thinking about, you know, I was, all I was thinking about was what the heck can I do to get myself out of this situation? And, uh, but, you know, through the years, it was, it was there. It was very prevalent. Uh, you know, if you look back 1979, I mean, that's what the guys did every day uh, after practice, go for lunch and have a few. And, and on the road, we'd always meet up somewhere after a game and, and, and that sort of thing. But um you know, I'm not making any excuses. It is what it is. I, I did, but I didn't realize that it was a real problem until, you know, right around the end of my uh, uh, stop in Buffalo at the end of my career. And then into my coaching career as well. And then after my first year, uh, had a bad incident after we got beat out in Norfolk and decided to quit the next day. And I did for almost 15 years. Um. Rick, looking at the number of stories that you share from your your experience, uh, is there one that really stands out in your mind that can maybe lead the younger generation, um, you know, to better the game and and better themselves? Well, uh, well I would say that maybe it could better themselves if they have a problem with any kind of addiction, and I think that you know that story is twice that I that I ended up beating at the second time, you know, having to go to rehab for 45 days. But, you know, nonetheless, it, it's those are probably two of the biggest accomplishments in my life is the fact that I overcame that not once but twice and came out better on the other side of it. So if anything, if, if anybody, you know, a young, anybody, young person, uh, and I've talked to some people, people have called me to come and meet with their sons or whatever that are going off to rehab and and uh you know i've had some pretty good conversations and and some great people that have had great results because of that well maybe not just because of me but maybe it helped a little bit and so this is kind of something that people that if, if they have any kind of a problem they can realize it 
you know what? If a, if a guy playing in the NHL uh, for 13 years can do that, then why can't I? And I think that goes along with the anxiety problems I had that were weren't diagnosed properly in the early 80s. And, uh, you know, anybody suffering from any kind of mental illness, uh, you know, it, it's like, you know, go and talk to someone, get some help, because uh, if you keep keep it from anybody, it's just going to get worse. Yeah, absolutely. Well said, Rick. And uh, I know a lot of people have been very appreciative of you being really forthcoming with your story. Uh, you mentioned, I mean, as Clarkie said, you were thrust into the captaincy of an original six team. And I mean, the Toronto Maple Leafs, it really doesn't get much bigger than that. At such a young age, you're 22 years old. I, I know it's a special fraternity. You know, my generation thinks of Sundin, Gilmore, Clark, and the like. How much were you able to lean on former captains? I mean, the Sittlers of the world, Dave Keon, perhaps. I mean, were you able to glean anything from any former captains when that was thrust upon you, or were you basically left to kind of swim along yourself? Um, no, I was on my own. Uh, Dave Keon had, a, had left. Toronto many, many years before that with his battle with Harold over money. And, and then Daryl had, you know, been traded. I learned from Dale or, or Daryl rather what it was like to be the captain of the Toronto Maple Leafs, obviously when he was there, when I came in. Um, but uh, you know what? It was, uh, it was a big honor. Don't get me wrong. Even though Harold went about it the way he did, it was still a, a heck of an honor. And I think if anything, it probably made me a better player because I knew that every every teammate of mine was always looking at me for you know that guidance and that leadership. And my way of doing that was on the ice. I, I said, lead by example. Don't worry about the dressing room; that'll take care of itself. And Boris saw me, who sat beside me, was a, was a real big uh, backer for me, and, and and stood up a few times when I did have something to say. I wasn't a, a rah rah yelling type guy but there was times where i'd stayed up stood up and said a couple of words and guys would say something and Bory would stand right up and tell them to shut up and uh, and listen so um those were kind of the people that really helped me along uh was was Boria more than anybody and uh and and what i had learned from daryl the short period of time that i spent with him Rick, um, I haven't received my promotional copy of the book yet. Maybe it just got lost in the mail. But uh, is there anything about Leafs TV? We work together for talk to, uh, talk, talk to Ruda because I don't. I'm not in charge of that. <laughs> okay, no problem. We worked together for what seemed like about 25 years, but it was probably what six or seven at Leafs TV. I was producing, and you were on air. It was a lot of fun. Um, it was it was so cool for me, um, as you were one of my heroes and working side by side with you for so long. Is there anything in the book about working at Leafs TV? Um, I don't think it, it goes into extensive details about my time there. I mean, it's mentioned, I, I'm pretty sure. I don't I haven't even read it yet. <laughs> uh, but um, nor do I think I will anyway, because I already know this, the whole story, so I don't really need to, <laughs> to read it. But um, yeah, but I had a great time there and, and you know, working for the Leafs and, and well, it was Leafs TV, but um, it, it was a lot of fun. We had great people there, a lot of people that worked extremely hard and probably underpaid. And, uh, you know, working with Glenn Healy and yourself and Bob McGill and... Uh, Duffer, better mention Duffer. 
Bill Duffer, who's now with the Sabres, and uh, well, he was always a Sabres fan, so he yeah. knew at some point if he ever had a chance, he was gone. And uh, yeah. but uh, no, it was a lot of fun. It really was, and uh, you know, it was it was doing Leafs TV and then being kind of a an ambassador on on the other side of it, and uh, it was a lot of fun to do. I enjoyed it. I really did. Except for that first perch we had up top that had a vent right above us. And if it was a, a long game and an overtime game, it'd be about, well, it seemed like 20 below zero where we were sitting anyway, especially when the building cleared out after the game and we had to do the post-game show. Maybe that's why Duffer was so grumpy all the time. I don't know. Hey, um, well, yeah, it could. That was part of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it was. Hey, listen, uh, I have a picture behind me. If you're watching on Whiteman or YouTube, of you scoring your 50th goal on uh, Mike Liu to the St. Louis Blues. The thing I remember about that night is that game wasn't on TV. Like, can you guys mm-hmm. imagine nowadays a game? Not on TV, first of all. But Rick, Rick, what do you remember about scoring that 50th goal uh, that night? Um, well, great memories, really. I mean, uh, how can you not? I mean, when you're the first player in a, in a uh, storied franchise to do that after, I think we were 65 years or so in by then, uh, or in 82, rather, and uh, now we're over 100. Uh, so, you know, it was kind of surprising to find out that nobody had ever done it. And then when I got the 45, it was mentioned to me. And I was surprised that with all the great players that had played in Toronto over the years that no one had ever done it. So, you know, I I mean, I'm, I got the 49 uh, before the game before the 50th uh, against Chicago. And then that night, I remember we were on a power play and I remember – uh, the puck came up the boards and it went to Billy D and he kind of cr- cut across the blue line and went to the other side. Uh, and I knew Billy and I played together. We, we had such chemistry and Dan Dunn came in later and it was the same way. We kind of knew where each other was going to be. So reading off of Billy, I pretty much knew exactly what he was he wanted to do. So all I did was kind of find an open space where he could get that pass across to me and, Excuse me. He made a beautiful backhand pass right through the seam, and for me, it was easy. It was just a quick one timer, and it was all over. It was uh, fifty. It, that's amazing, Rick. Um, Want to pick your brain, uh, brain a little bit about the today's game and the situation that players are playing in? Um, in ever your career, or watching the game, or being part of the game, have you ever seen? such circumstances that the players are playing in now? Uh, no, uh, not even close. And, uh, you know, I mean, you're reading where the Capitals get fined 100000 and four guys put on a I – mean, because they, they got together and four guys in a hotel room. <laughs> All right, whatever. I mean, those are the rules, I guess, and, and you got to go through it. But, I mean, you know what, it, it – you know, there's there's been some teams that have kind of have maybe haven't done it the right way because there's been a lot of cases in Dallas, for instance. And uh, but you know, most of the teams in last year, the bubble thing, they did a very very good job of putting that whole thing together. And I think with all the rules that are in place, which I did read, there's no reason why the, anybody has to be going out or anything. Just you know, you're getting paid to go out and do your job on the ice. You're not getting paid to go to a bar or restaurant or something like that so 
you know, deal with the rules and, and uh, enjoy the, the fact that you're able to play the game uh, through all this crap and, uh, and go out and have fun. I mean, uh, that's, the game's supposed to be fun. You're supposed to have fun doing it, work hard, and, and it, it'll give back to you. Absolutely. And I mean, yeah, we're definitely going to dig into that situation later with my beloved Washington Capitals. It's a sticky situation. Yeah, I saw that hat. I don't know why, but uh, yeah, sorry. I be- sorry about that. Um, yeah. It, well, you like, know what? I guess Obi, Obi and the boys decided to have a little party in the room. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they wanted to play checkers or something and couldn't resist. Uh, Rick, I want to ask you a little bit about your time in Toronto. Obviously, you're the captain of the team. You're the star player. You scored 50 there three times. You were the first player to ever do it. Um, you know, there has been a narrative over the years, certainly in, in my time watching the league, there seems to be this narrative. I think it's more prevalent among fans for sure that the media in Toronto is a deterrent for some people and the media coverage gets blamed for a lot of the maladies that befall the team. They're underachieving or perceived underachieving some people wanting to get traded over the years or not wanting to come until John Tavares signed, obviously, is any of that true in your opinion? I mean, you were there in the heat of it. You're the captain of this team at one point. Do you buy into that narrative at all? Well, I mean, first of all, things were, were much different when I came. There was like maybe 15 or 17 people, more than most cities, uh, reporters and TV and, and so on would be at practices and games. I mean, now it's, it, I mean, it's completely different with the social media and the amount of uh, sports talk shows and so on. Um, you know what? I, I don't I don't really buy into that because, I mean, it might happen with individuals. If, if a guy doesn't have thick enough skin, maybe he can't handle the pressure of playing in Toronto, uh, a place like Toronto, where the media is so big. But team-wise, I don't think it has any bearing whatsoever. I mean, it's up to each individual to go out and do his job to the best of his ability. But if you don't have thick skin and you can't handle what people in the media or on social media are saying about you as an individual, well, then obviously it's going to affect the way you play, I think, anyway. Um, but as a team, no, I don't think the, it shouldn't anyway. I mean, unless unless every single player doesn't have thick skin, <laughs> which would be the only way that uh, – you know, but I, I think they're all pretty thick-skinned and, and can handle it. So, um, you know, I don't think it really has any bearing on it at all. Hey, Rick, we were talking to you. I, I, I'm getting all my years wrong here, but I think it was I think it was a year ago uh, when Austin Matthews was closing in on your record, and it, it, it's amazing. First of all, you still you still have that record. I mean, everyone was giving it to Austin. It was a done deal. He was going to get, you know surpass your uh, your record but you still have it. It, it it's an amazing circumstance that happened last year as the season was cut short and you couldn't do it but I, and i know you you'll say that it's going to be a record that's going to be broken at some point but it's kind of cool to still have the record isn't it yeah it is yeah. i mean i'm not gonna lie it is it's, it's pretty darn cool and you know what if, it, if it's there for until the day I leave this earth, then uh, that would be even better. But, uh, but you know, I'm, I'm not even going to say the quote because you already said it, but 
Uh, Matthews was very, very close last year. I'm sure once they get back to a regular NHL schedule, there's probably a pretty good chance that he could get over that. But uh, I felt bad for him last year. Um, I mean, he did have a ways to go. He had to get uh, uh, seven goals to tie and then eight to pass it in 12 games, you know, which is no easy feat. But he's a guy Mm -hmm. that can easily have done that. There's no question I think he would have got 50. uh, But to get to 54, but I felt bad for him that it was a pandemic that took that opportunity away from him. Like an injury, okay, I get it. That's part of the game. That happens, and he has had injuries in each of his previous seasons, which kept him from getting, you know, anywhere close to 50. So I felt bad for the for the young boy is a uh, young man, and uh, it would have been cool if he could have gotten. 50 or 54 or 55, whatever, because there would have been two guys at the same age of 22 that went out and did that. But, mm. you know, he didn't get that opportunity because of the pandemic. Rick, we really appreciate you doing this again. He has a new book out. You can buy it everywhere that you can get books. Catch 22, My Battles in Hockey and Life, the untold story of a Toronto Maple Leafs legend. Rick Vive, former Maple Leaf captain. Before I let you go, Rick, I mean, we've talked an awful lot about your franchise goal scoring record, which is great that you still have it. It's a cool thing to have. Hey, you know, not everybody can say they're the greatest goal scorer in terms of single seasons for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Who was the best goal scorer you ever saw? saw in the NHL who was that one guy that you know could do it better than everybody else it seemed um well besides me uh yes <laughs> well in my day anyway I I, I always thought Mike Bossy was the best pure goal scorer in, in the league uh bar none uh that was but I mean he had a short career he only played uh, what nine years or ten years Nine consecutive 50-goal seasons or more from the beginning of his career. And then in the last one, he had back problems. And he still scored, I think, 39. And, uh, you know, maybe could have gotten 50 again for a 10th consecutive year. But I thought he was uh, the best goal scorer in my era anyway. And now there's, a, now there's a bunch of them. I mean, there's Ovechka, there's Matthews, there's Dreisaitl. I mean – there's a lot of guys out there that can score 40, 45, 50 goals uh, in a heartbeat. Hey, Rick, I'm sure this wasn't in your book, but I'll never forget my one of my favorite memories playing hockey. Not only um, our shinny that we used to do at uh, the Air Canada Center, but Rick, guys, Rick actually came out to one of my men's league games in Oakville. And I, uh, I remember him walking in the dressing room, sitting down, and one of the guys looks at him and goes, Okay, it looks like Rick Vive <laughs> and the whole dressing room cracked up, but then Rick's playing. And I, I guess halfway through the game, Rick realized that you could take slap shots. And he's like, you could take slap shots. Cool. So we let a couple rip by the goalie's head. But unfortunately, if this is how the game ended, Rick took like an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty and we lost the game. So there you go. <laughs> but yeah, you miss playing. You must miss uh... playing though. Right. You must miss playing. Yeah. That was a lot of fun. Uh, it didn't end well. Uh, you know, in those sites of leagues, like, I mean, I played in the Toronto Ball Hockey League when I was playing for the Maple Leafs, and it was the same there. It was like, guys are going to take shots at you because yeah. of who you are, and they want to go be able to go home to their buddies or go to the bar and say, oh, you know what, guess what, I slashed Rick Five across the arms, and, you know, that's going to happen, but I, uh, 
I hated losing and I had a temper and that wasn't going to change on any ice surface. So a guy did that to me and I took an unsportsmanlike, unfortunately. But uh, but I missed the game. I Like our alumni games, like I used to yeah. play in tournaments like Easter Seals and Hockey Helps the Homeless. Like I played, gosh, I don't know, 60 games a year roughly. And, uh, and, and in those tournaments, you play four games in one day and a boy, I'll tell you, a 61, that's getting a little bit difficult, but I still love playing. I still can put the puck in the net, especially with those new sticks. And uh, I have a lot of fun with the, the alumni guys in the room. And, and, and afterwards, we always go out and have something to eat. And it, I mean, it's just great. It's a lot of fun. And uh, I just love playing the game still. And I, I, I'm not going to stop until the time comes when I just can't lace the blades up and, and step on the ice anymore. Well, that's great to hear, Rick. Again, we really appreciate you doing this. Rick Vive, former Toronto Maple Leaf captain, multi-time 50-goal scorer, and author of a new book, Catch-22. You can get it everywhere that you like to find your novels. Rick, we really appreciate you doing this, man. Thank you so much. Glad to see you're well. Oh, my pleasure, guys. Thanks a lot. And uh, everybody stay safe. It's a crazy, turbulent time that we're going through, but we'll get we'll get through on the other side and we'll be better for it, I think. We absolutely will. We really appreciate it, Rick. All right, we'll take a quick break here on MWO Sports. When we come back, lots to talk about, including the championship games in the NFL and, of course, the Blue Jays finally landing a superstar. We'll talk about that next year on MWO Sports, brought to you by CoolBet.co. This is MWO Sports. Welcome back to MWO Sports, brought to you by CoolBet.co. Ryan Drury still along with Steve Sabern and Clarkie. We really appreciate former Maple Leafs captain and 50-goal scorer Rick Vive for joining us on the show. Gentlemen, lots to talk about. We mentioned that we're going to dig into the Jays, and we will do that. But first of all, let's uh, let's talk about my Washington Capitals. Who Keep are them in control, Drury. What's going on? The Russians <laughs> are out of control disarray gentlemen uh yeah we briefly brought it up with our friend rick vive this is um i'll be honest i i can't say i'm surprised and i know right now i've literally got a hat on and i am gonna have a fan hat on i can't help it anytime i talk about the capitals it's hard for me to approach it with an analytic hat on we know yeah so I'm not surprised because of the temperament of this team since Barry Trotz left and we won a Stanley Cup, which, by the way, still remains one of the most bizarre sports things I can think of in the last 20 years. I mean, I did research. I was trying to find, outside of coaches retiring, I was trying to find an instance of this where a coach just left was allowed to go to a rival organization in your own division. They win the first two games against Buffalo. They have a chance to get on top of a not great Pittsburgh team and Washington should have won both those games. They lost the second one in embarrassing fashion. I've not seen a loss that embarrassing in years you're up 4-2 with a 5-on-3 power play. You give up a unbelievably rare 5-on-3 shorthanded goal. You let Pittsburgh tie it, and then you lose in overtime off of a terrible turnover. Um, yeah, it, now, it's... Now you're up against a Buffalo team that's starting to 
they just come off a split against a very tough Philly team. Yeah. And it's, it's all about momentum. And, and we've talked to some guys earlier on uh, before the season started that, I mean, you can't, you don't have time to recoup from a downswing. And not no. only that, but we, there's a, there's a guy chasing a record and every game he misses is another game. He can't score a goal. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, I'm not it, like, <laughs> I know what you're saying, like, buddy. Yeah. Like yeah. chances are like, if he, if he finishes a season five short, guess what? He's going to come back and play until he breaks the record, then retires. Like he'll play as long as he can, if he, if he can, but like, it, it's just, it just goes the, the biggest word that keeps popping into my mind is selfish. It's just so selfish what these guys did. It sucks. Yeah. They, uh, whether you think the rule is stupid or not, the fact of the matter is these guys were told what the rules were and they ignored them and mm -hmm. they're paying the price for it. And rightfully so. Okay. Enough yep. about the capitals. Yep. I know majority of our viewers don't really care. No, it is a big, a big story. story. It's a big story. It, yeah. it is. I will, I will take the hat off now. I'm, I'm going to leave it on. My mop's not great either. Um, <laughs> I haven't seen a barber in a while, fellas. Let's talk baseball. Man, I was fired up for this. The Blue Jays finally land a big fish. George Springer signs the biggest deal in franchise history. Six years, $150 million. Uh, the word is that there were other teams like the Mets that went in for him. The Jays went that extra mile and paid more than anybody else. They've landed him. This is huge for the team, guys. Uh, Clarky, I'll start with you this time. What was your impression of this signing, and are they done? I don't think they should be done. They uh, need to add some pitching for sure. But you know what? Uh, it's amazing to me with um, with the way the world is right now that Mark Shapiro could go to the ownership of the of Rogers and say, "Listen, we want to pay a guy more than we've ever come close to paying a guy um, before." Um, he's a really good player, but we're going to pay this guy a lot of money. And by the way. We might have to play another year in Buffalo uh, with no fans. Is that okay? Like how do like Shapiro's a genius for getting this by the board, the Rogers board. Um, but good, good on him. I mean, they need to do it. Um, you know, he, Springer's a great player. Hopefully, he doesn't need a garbage can to prove it. But it, it's just like he—he's a superstar, right? And that's what they need. And they got it. And they're going full out now. And they just need some pitching to uh, to accompany that. I saw some pictures of Vladdy Jr. He's all trim, like. It reminded me of last offseason when we saw him skipping rope. But he looks a lot better. Let's see if he is a lot better when baseball actually starts. But a great move by the Blue Jays. And they got they got Brantley too, right? That's what uh, I saw on Twitter yesterday. They, they did not. Yes, oh, there was didn't. a lot of there's a lot of confusion. I was excited about that too. The initial reports from a number of sources told people that cover the Jays, even within the Jays, allegedly that the deal was done. It is not Michael Brantley. It is official. He is going back to the Houston Astros, which is unfortunate because Steve on top of pitching, which is an obvious need in the bullpen. And of course the rotation to get Ryu some help, they could really, really use a left-handed bat. Well, yes, but then that would leave you with a huge surplus of outfielders. And that's the trouble they ran into last season. Right? So, um, it, you know what? They got Springer, and I think the uh, the big part of that is the six years uh, because it's not a two-year deal. It's not a three-year deal. It's a long deal, and hopefully, as Clarkie alluded to, if they do have to play in Buffalo one more season, 
it still gives fans something excited about the following season when they come home. Um, the only thing I'm a little concerned about is uh, if you're a student of history, this is a very similar setup to the Blue Jays that signed Vernon Wells to a long-term, very expensive contract. And they had an ace pitcher up their sleeve in the name of Roy Halladay. What they couldn't do is shore up the bullpen and get that second starter that could really support Halladay uh, on the team. So um, is there more money in the pot? Can they afford to go and, and maybe get another arm for the bullpen or another pitcher for the starting rotation? Um, and, and in that case, too, it's good that they didn't spend it on Michael uh, Brantley because now they have money to do so. Absolutely. And I mean, the thing, the thing here is, is the Jays have talked and Atkins and Shapiro talked about their philosophy and, you know, have told everyone since the summertime, basically we've got money and we want to add to this team significantly. They finally do it. Uh should also mention they signed Kirby Yates who will help the bullpen, a veteran arm, $8.5 million deal. He will help. It would be great if they could really, really flex their muscles, not that spending 150 million isn't flexing your muscles on a very, very elite defensive player, pretty solid batter as well. Garbage can aside. Um, it would be great if they could go get a guy like Brad hand that would transform the bullpen. I mean, it would give guys like Romero help Yates adds to the mix. Of course, that would be fantastic. Ken Giles as well in the mix. I mean, that would be great. Are they potentially still in, in the hunt for a, a, a Bauer? Could they go after Tanaka, Odorizzi? There's still options out there. And like I said, they are going to have to make a trade. They have too many players. So, and like you said, Steve, they're loaded in the outfield. Randall Gritchick, $10 million tag. He's probably not a guy that teams are going to want to take. You're not going to get anything for him anyway. Yeah. So is Lord is Guriel Jr. Yeah. Uh, that he, type of guy. Is he, he the guy that yes. goes? I think I think if they want to add a quality arm, then he's a guy that the other teams are going to look at for sure. Cause if I'm not mistaken, he's on a he's on a pretty good ticket right now. Um so yeah, for sure. I think that's definitely a possibility. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, Steve, we've talked about this before too, the whole Vladdy thing. Who is going to play third base? They would love to find a permanent third baseman. There's rumors that they could potentially call up the Chicago Cubs and get a guy like Chris Bryant. That would be a massive splash. Uh, it, it would. I mean, again, the corners are are kind of up in the air for the Blue Jays at first and third. Um, just kind of fiddling around with names. Yeah, because sorry, go ahead. Of who they have now? I mean, realistically, you could bring Teoscar Hernandez in from the outfield to play a little first base and put Guriel in left with uh, Springer in center and uh, Grichuk in right, uh, which kind of normalizes the outfield. Like Guriel Jr. was a very, very good defensive outfielder for the Blue Jays over the last season and a half. Um, he proved his worth defensively. Hitting, he was very, very streaky. He had the hot start off in the short season and then, then cooled off, but all of the Jays bats were a little cool. Um, so they have some options uh, in, in that sense. Also up the middle, like, I mean, you'd like to go up and get maybe an everyday shortstop. Um, Bichette, you know, decent at shortstop, but do you want to move him over to the second base side 
and have a, another guy come in and play short. So, um, yeah, a lot of questions. Absolutely. Well, hey, my guy Marcus Semyon's still available. Maybe they, you know, put the lure in the lake for him too. Lots of possibilities. There's going to be gotta more th- coming from the Jays. You, you got to think they're all in. They got to go. They got to do totally. it now, right? They're all in, and you got to just keep going. You got to keep adding if you can. Yeah, well, you don't spend 150 mil <laughs> no. and just sit back. Exactly. Um, you know what? And it, it's it's also good from a personality standpoint because Springer's a spark flutter, right? He's he's a guy that brings energy to the table. He is great for the leadoff, and now maybe Bichette drops down to the second spot and becomes that supporting batter in the lineup to Springer's leadoff. Uh, you know that's fantastic. Um, and, and I'm sure there'll be a lot of Springer jerseys being printed, uh, and put on the racks very, very shortly. Absolutely. And rightfully so the Jays really making some noise and they are not done yet. And neither are we. We'll take a quick break here on MWO sports brought to you by CoolBet.co, and come back to preview the NFL championship series games coming up next with our wagering expert, Chris Abbott from CoolBet. Stay tuned. This is MWO sports. Welcome back to wrap things up here on MWO Sports brought to you by CoolBet.co. I am Ryan Drury, still along with Steve Sabrin and Clarkie. And we welcome in, as always, our wagering expert, Chris Abbott from CoolBet. Chris, how you doing? Doing great, guys. How you doing tonight? Where are you tonight? Where are you? You're somewhere different. (laughs) Yeah, well, I'm still within my bubble, but I'm out of my condo for the first time in a little bit. Just just at my girlfriend's place. So, uh, yeah, she's got a better decor than I do. That's for sure. (laughs) <laughs> yes, I agree. You should do all of your future appearances in front of the shelf. Yes, sir. Uh, <laughs> Just put some stuff on the shelf, though, will you? Yeah, maybe. Well, yeah, like little little inside baseball. The shelf has been moved out of here. That's why there's nothing on it. So perfect. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Good excuse. Good excuse. All right. Speaking of the shelf, Patrick Mahomes, that's the story. Is he going to be on the shelf? I doubt it, but it could greatly affect the AFC championship game. Bills, Chiefs, who do you like? Let's just assume Mahomes plays because I think he will. Um, Who do you like in this one and what's the spread looking like? Yeah, I think he plays as well. And the spread reflects that the Chiefs are a three point home favorite. Um, I said to somebody else earlier this week, I don't expect this to be the week that the NFL gets to the forefront of head injury uh, prevention and promotion. So (laughs) I I, I don't think there's any way he's not playing. And uh, I mean, if he does, the line will completely switch. I do think, however, if there is a chance of an underdog covering or winning outright in one of these two games, I think this is it with the Bills. Um, You know, they've, they've had a nice little run here and there's nothing to indicate that it won't continue. Um, but I think, you know, if the Chiefs are, are going at, at full bore, uh, they're a real hard team to stop. Although they do have some injury troubles. So it'll be interesting to see how this one plays out. I'm looking forward to it. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, and the thing too is with the Buffalo Bills, you look at Beasley's not 100%. He's got the knee. He's had limited, well, less time than he has had in the past. Uh, Diggs, you know, has been a question for the last couple of weeks, but he always seems ready to go. I'm in, it's interesting that it's only a three point spread, Chris, because that really shows how good Buffalo is this year. Right. Especially with the chiefs at home. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the chiefs are a touchdown or more favorite an awful lot. And, and, you know, you play this game in week one, you, you don't see a three point spread. So the bills have earned that respect. They've been given it. 
Uh, Three-point spread for the home team basically means that the odds makers think this game is a coin flip and they give the home team three points uh, basically for being at home. Um, this game will be fun. You know, I don't expect there to be a whole lot of running. You know, the, we've seen that the Bills' run game isn't that great. Clyde Edwards-Alaire is hurt. So um, I think you're going to see Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes throw the ball an absolute ton, which kind of kind of points me toward the total, which is at 54 points. Uh, if they're throwing it a lot, we might get over that easily. Yeah, Chris, I think are you so. gonna are you going to bet that the Buffalo Bills make it to the Super Bowl? That's what I'm, I'm not about. actually. No, no? <laughs> I'm not. Okay. Um, what I did do a few weeks ago, though, they were at seven to one, so I put a little bit down there. Um, I don't know that now is the time to bet on the Bills. I mean, the Chiefs. I think the Chiefs are are better than three points uh, ahead of Buffalo. I just think if there is an opportunity for an upset, it is in this game. Um, but I will be betting uh, on the Chiefs and on the Packers this weekend. So you basically answered my next question, Packers Bucks. You like Aaron Rodgers to take down Tom Terrific and that passing arsenal that he has. I mean, this will be a fun game to watch too, but I mean, I know they slapped them around in Tampa earlier this year, but that doesn't mean anything at this stage. And Aaron Rodgers has had a chip on his shoulder all year since they drafted a quarterback. He wants this. I think Green Bay might walk away. Yeah, Ryan, I think you're right, man. Uh, that's what I'm expecting as well. Uh, if you look at that la game last week between Tampa Bay and New Orleans, what we saw was a game that New Orleans was in and were leading or, or you know, could have got a, got away with it, and then they had a bunch of turnovers. Aaron Rodgers is not going to turn the ball over three times on Saturday. If he does, I'll eat my hat live on Periscope. Like, it's not going to happen. He is not going to throw three interceptions. I don't know if he ever has. So, um you know, it's it's not going to happen. So I think the, the Packers will make the most of their possessions. I, I do think the, the only caveat in this game is if you see that Brady has like a 10-point deficit in the fourth quarter, you might want to live bet the Bucks because he's at least going to make it interesting. He always does. But I, I think the, the thing with the Packers, and we really saw last week, we were wondering what they would do against like a really competent defense in the Rams. And I know Aaron Donald missed a lot of snaps, but I don't know if it would have mattered, man. They, they just made it look easy and playing at home. I, I just, man, I, I think, I think the Packers win this going away. I, I like them too. They're at three and a half, four points. Depends on the hour. Really. It goes back and forth. One thing to also take note of, uh, although even though it is an upside down year, no team, no team ever has played in the Super Bowl in their own stadium. Pretty interesting. And uh, I mean, again, like you said, both games are going to be great. And any combination really at the end of the day of a Super Bowl matchup is going to be a lot of fun to bet on. Should mention we're uh, on this broadcast heading into Maple Leafs Oilers part two. The first game this week was a little uh, bit of a snooze fest. It wasn't the most exciting game. And that's why Drury, and that's why I don't bet. Because if there was ever a game you might want to pick the over, to me, that would have been it. But it yes. was a snooze fest. You're right. It was. And uh, stay tuned, our CK and XAM 920 listeners. You're going to go right into the pregame and then listen to the great and incomparable Joe Bowen. But, Chris, exciting start to the NHL season overall. Leafs, Oilers, I mean, what can you say? This matchup is always must watch. Is it must bet, though? Yeah, I mean, I think so. I think the game, what was that, Wednesday night? Uh, you had a couple yep. of tired teams and everybody in their dog bet the over. Everybody bet on the Leafs because, you know, the Oilers had looked so bad their last couple of times out. And, of course, the Oilers win. The total goes well under and sportsbooks have a field day. What we have seen with these back-to-backs with the same teams in the same building is we usually get the opposite game script the next night out. 
So I, if you bet over in the Leafs on Wednesday, I think going back to the well is probably the smart move here. I think we will see lots of goals in this game uh, coming up. And uh, who wins? I don't know. But I think, I think we'll get a good price on the Leafs, uh, especially after losing to the Oilers uh, on Wednesday. So I, I'm not a guy. I hate to bet on the Leafs. I'm a Leafs fan, but they always break my heart. Uh, along with you know, 15 million other people in this province, but I uh, I think that uh, I think they're a good bet. I think the over is a great bet in this game. Absolutely, I would agree. You heard it here first, Chris, our wagering expert, Chris Abbott from Coolbet. He likes the Chiefs. He likes the Packers to walk away. Bet the Leafs. Take the over as we yeah. head into the game here. You've still got time. And he's yeah, on and Periscope. And send me the invoice. <laughs> send me the invoice when it all goes when it all goes awry. Absolutely. Absolutely. Share yeah. your winnings. Share your winnings. All right. You can catch this show live on CKNX AM920 Friday nights just after six. Except when the Leafs play, we start at 530 leading into 630 pregame. So keep that in mind as we do this week. You can catch all the Leaf games, remember, on CKNX AM920 all season long. You can find us on cknx.ca streaming live there as well. You can find the podcast on all the best podcast apps. We are on social media on Twitter and Facebook at MWO underscore sports. We are very pleased to be sponsored by coolbet.co every week. And you can catch us as well on YouTube and Friday nights at eight, Sunday nights at nine with our friends on Whiteman TV. I am Ryan Drury. He is Steve Saverin. He is Clarky, And that is our wagering expert, Chris Abbott. We appreciate you listening to and watching MWO Sports. <laughs>